0: And it says this i appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of god to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to god which is your spiritual worship so we continue in our series in romans and we've turned a corner the first 11 chapters kind of represent um this pattern, right, that Paul has throughout all of his epistles that he writes, he has this pattern. Um, He begins the book usually with doctrine, a lot of theological and doctoral teaching is the foundation, and then he turns to the practical, showing how how does our doctrine change us? What is it because what we believe, how does that cause us to behave? And we saw that last week in that uh, little break we took in, in Ephesians, where Paul, again, moved from doctrine to duty, right? What is our duty now that we have this doctrine? Or basically, he moves from what we know to what we show. What do we show people, right, about what we know? Or basically, what you believe determines how you behave. That's the idea, right? What you believe about Christ, about yourself, and about the gospel will determine how you behave live, how you behave, how you live your life, right? And so that's where we're coming to, especially in in Romans now. The first 11 chapters, as we've seen, dealt primarily with the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. Paul dealt a little bit also in the last uh, three chapters in 9, 10, 11 with the, the ethnic Jewish nation and how they work with the Gentiles and how the gospel is for all people, basically. But now that he's established that, He's going to move to, beginning in chapter 12, this practical. What do we do as believers now? If we believe this about Jesus, how's it going to change us? Specifically, how's it going to change how we live with one another? If you're coming to Sunday school, you know that we're going through the one another's. And there's a lot of them, about 35 uh, one another's that we're to do for each other. Love one another, serve one another, pray for one another, forbear one another. Uh, That's put up with one another if you need a translation. But all of these things, right? And, and what that deals with is how we live life together in this real world that we're living in for the glory of God, being transformed by the truth of the gospel. So we we're in this, this, this place. Now today, Paul begins, we're only going to take one verse. Um, and the reason is it's important that we understand this foundation that Paul lays down on the practical side. But basically, we're going to see three things that Paul does as he makes this challenge to us. He, he, there's three things about this challenge that Paul has made here to us. Obviously, yes, to the church in, in Rome, but we are reading this as it applies to us as well. We're going to see the audience that he challenges. We're going to see the grounds upon which the challenge is made. And then we're going to t- see the extent of the challenge they got, that, that Paul's making to us. So, the audience. Chapter one or Chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. And we could add there, based on the Greek word there, adolphos, brothers and sisters. It's interesting. Um, that word, adelphos is a translated brother. And a lot of times, brother or sister, it, it really is a word for sibling, can be that word for sibling. But really, it's, it's literally about being a strong Being strongly attached to to something is what it means, a a strong member of something. So obviously that applies to families, and that's why it's used mostly for brothers and sisters, and applies to all of those who are connected. But it's basically being a fellow believer in Christ is the way that word is used throughout the epistles. Adolphos, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, fellow believers in Christ, those who belong to Christ. So that's the audience, that's who Paul is writing to, those who belong to Christ, So basically he's saying, I appeal to you, those who belong to Christ. That's that's who the appeal is made to. Now, what is the grounds of the challenge that he's making to us? This this grounds of sacrifice. What what are the grounds? Upon what evidence are we to make our lives a sacrifice? What's the grounds? He says, verse 1, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God. By the way, if you haven't memorized Romans chapter 12, 1, you will by the end of this sermon. Because That's all we're looking at. But notice what he says. I appeal, I urge, I strongly beg. Literally that word appeal can be, Paul's like, oh, I'm on bended knee. I'm begging you who say you know Jesus and I'm, I'm begging you based on the mercy God has shown you. That's the basis. That's the grounds of this short verse, this challenge that we're getting. But man, it is deep if we stop and breathe and look at it. Don't just read over it, but think about what Paul is saying here. What a powerful plea based on the mercies of God. And that harks back to, to the entirety of the book of Romans. Uh, the word therefore, we, we all know that how when we come to the word therefore in Scripture, we stop and have to look back to see what it's there for. The word therefore always pertains to that which preceded it, which came before. But also he mentions, he gives, he gives, he gives the, the grounds here He says, in case you don't understand, in case you forgot what we've just talked about for the past 11 chapters. (laughs) So he's saying, based on the 11 chapters, folks, based on everything we just heard about God, I'm going to remind you, His mercy. (laughs) It's based on His mercy towards you. Remember we saw in, in, in Romans chapter 9 that God says, I will show mercy to whom I show mercy. It's my mercy to give, not yours to demand so powerful. So powerful. This whole entitlement idea of coming to God and saying, God, you owe me. I'm special. You, you, you owe me. You, you're you're going to get a great, great deal if you get me in your kingdom. That is blown away by the book of Romans. I mean, the, the whole book of Romans begins by laying out in those first three chapters how sinful man is, how wicked we are, how depraved we are, how separated from God we are, We have nothing to offer God. And it also establishes the fact that every human being, instead of earning God's favor by how special they are, they actually have earned His wrath and they're under His wrath. That's what the first three chapters of Romans deal with. Then it continues, Paul continues from chapter 4 on to chapter 10 by laying out the only way we who are miserably lost and hopeless and without God in this world, how we can be brought back to Him. And the only way we can be forgiven is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That it was Christ, the second Adam, who came and lived the perfect life, unlike the first Adam, our our father, Adam, the first Adam that we were born under, Jesus has come to be the second Adam, the the new and perfect Adam, who lived a perfect life in our place. He died upon a cross. He took that wrath that we deserve, and now only through him can we be made right and righteous and approach God. That's what Paul lays down. So therefore, and again, (laughs) he continues to reiterate all the way through the book, even in chapter 11 as he talks about The Jews and the Gentiles, how that it's all by the very mercy of God that He grafts anybody into His grace. All by His mercy. It's not of Him who works or wills, it's of God who shows mercy. And that's a huge ground then for this challenge. Based on the grounds of God's mercy, it's amazing. Those words, on the mercies of God. Just look at it again. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. Those four words affirm that it's God's mercy towards us in Christ that must be the motivator for all that we do. That really is important for us to understand. It is not... The motivation for us obeying God and loving God and living for God and, and offering our life as a sacrifice to God is not for Him to forgive us. It's not to earn salvation. It's not to become a Christian. That is not the grounds upon which we we serve him. That's not the basis. That's not the reason. The reason. That we will give our lives totally to Him and live for Him and keep His commands is because of the mercy He's already shown us in Christ. The forgiveness He's already bestowed. He's already taken our sins away in Christ. He's already given us eternal life. Based on that mercy, we will keep this challenge. We will make our lives a sacrifice. And look at this, 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 this fact all through Scripture. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. Think of this. This is what Paul just understands it should move us. It should change us. It should transform us. I mean, good night. Man alive. We've got to pull my pants off. But just think about this. I mean, so many people, you go to church all your life, like if you're like me and you've been, I was saved when I was 14, so I've been, by God's grace, um, serving him and living for him for, uh, who knows, I'm kind of old now. But, but so many years to see, quote, Christians in churches. And man, man, if you, you go to some churches, then you wonder, what is it that you guys even believe? Do you really believe a smidgen of what you just read from that book, if you read from that book at all, or the songs that you sing? Do you believe a smidge of it? Do you believe a little bit of it? Because your life, you look like you ate sour grapes. You look like your mother-in-law came to move in. I oh, was terrible. I should have said that. <laughs> I've, I've got to repent of those things, man. That's not right. And I admit I'm serious. But you look like you lost your job. I mean, you look terrible, you look sad. Most churches, it's just there's no, there is no real joy because the fact is, folks, they have not understood the depth of God's grace and mercy toward them. This is the pious, sanctimonious group, the self-righteous crowd, the religious crowd who thinks because of my my sacrifices and my offerings to God and my good works. God has favor upon me. So they expect his they expect him to be good to them. They presume upon his grace. Boy, that crowd is hard to deal with. Have you dealt with them? They're always gonna judge you before they ever look at themselves. They're always gonna be elitists and conceited and just Self-righteous. But if you've ever been around the people of God, the real people of God, those who know they have nothing whatsoever to offer God, and those who realize that that all God owes them, the only thing God owes them is an eternity under his wrath. Those people who understand that, if you're around those people, and then those people realize it's by his grace and his grace alone, he's done everything for me. He has lived the perfect life, keeping the law, the Ten Commandments, and all of God's law for me. I can't do it. I've broken everyone. He kept them. He did all that for me. And then the very penalty that I owe for breaking the law, he paid for me. And now by his grace, he exchanges everything. He takes my wrath. He takes my guilt. He takes my sin. And he gives me his perfection, his righteousness, his holiness. Wow, that person who understands that it's all of God and that we didn't deserve it, and by his mercy, he opened our eyes, we saw the cross, we saw the grace of God, and we trusted Christ, and we've been saved. Those people are grateful people, humble people, people who say with Paul, when we see sinners, we do not condone the sin, but you know what we say? But by God's grace, I'd be right there, and I was there, and worse That's the attitude of a person who understands these words of Paul on the mercies of God. I plead with you, based on the mercies of God. God has been good to you. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. What did Paul say there? But God, being rich in mercy, (laughs) because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive. Together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, Paul says here. Do you get that? Do we see it? Does it change us? Does it affect us? Do we, get, do we see it? But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love we were with, He loved us. We don't love God. You don't love God. We, we don't love God. Our flesh doesn't love God. We can't love God enough for Him to love us. No. He loves us First. Then we love him. That's what it says. We love because he first loved us. And this verse makes it so plain. Because of the great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead. Man, a lot of dead people can't love very well at all. The relationship's very stale. Uh, you know, I mean, they don't talk much, they don't show much affection. A corpse. It can't. It's dead. And that's how we were to God, the Bible says. We were dead to Him. And yet, He loved us. Can these dead bones live, the prophet was asked by God? The dry bones? He said, only You know, Lord. Yes, the Lord knows. He can breathe the life. And He does breathe that life back into the, our dead bones. And He raises us from the dead by the grace found in Christ and the Gospel. First John 3, 1 John 3.1 This is the attitude we should have. Again, this is this attitude that should drive us in what we do for the Lord, why you got up and drove to the church. It's not because you're trying to earn your way to heaven. Forget that. You never could. Man, you could sleep in if that's what... Man, I could save you the trouble (laughs) of getting out and driving to church and trying to sing songs you don't like and and, and hear prayers you don't want to hear and hear people talk and and have to put up with each other. If that's what you're doing to try to get to heaven, I could have saved you the trouble. That's not going to help us. And the only reason we're here, any of us, it's because we've caught a glimpse of the glorious love of God for us in Christ. And we cannot be the same. We're not the same anymore. That's why 1 John 3.1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given us! That we should be called the children of God. And so we are. It amazed Paul. He's never the same. I who was wicked, who blasphemed God, I was against him, yet he loved me in spite of me, saved me, and made me his child. What manner of love is that? That's what Paul's saying here. And it's on that ground, the ground that what, of what God has already done for us. Not what we're doing for God, not what we're trying to earn. No, we know we can't do that. And that's what amazes us who really know Christ and really know the gospel. That's what causes us to say, but Lord, I'm going, to, I'm going to serve you with everything I've got. I can never repay. I can never do it. But you have won my heart by your kindness and love towards me. You've purchased me. You've bought me lock, stock, and barrel, Lord. I am yours. That's what Paul's saying. Based on the mercy of God, That alone should change you and transform you to take anything this world throws out, anything that people want to say to you about how silly it is to be in Christ. It just bounces off like Teflon because his grace is all you see. His kindness and mercy to you is all you see. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what all the apostles saw. That's why they all lived like crazy (laughs) madmen. That's why Paul would be stoned for preaching the good news of Jesus. He would be stoned and left for dead outside of a city. And he would get up and knock off the rocks and pick out the pebbles from his ears. And he'd go back into the city and preach Christ again. Because all he saw was the mercy of God. And how much everyone else needed that mercy. And that's what drove him. That's what he's telling us. He's begging us. He's begging us. Those of you who've been saved, on that basis, make your life a sacrifice to God. And that's the extent, by the way. The final thing we see is the extent of this challenge. What is the extent of this sacrifice? Just a little pence here and a little pence there. And when I have some time, maybe I'll give you my leftovers, God. Is that what the, the challenge is? I don't think so. Let's read this again. Romans 12:1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers fellow believers, I appeal to you by the mercy that God has shown you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. It's huge. A living sacrifice. This is what it calls for. Nothing less than all of you, your body. Present your bodies. What a a term Paul used there. What What an interesting thing. He's actually pushing back against some of the Gnostics. He's pushing back against this idea of some of the the ideas of, of those who put the body against the soul as some big separation there that God may save our soul but not our bodies. Body's bad, physical's bad, spiritual good, that kind of dichotomy. John Stott says this. I like what he says here about this. He says, this blunt reference to our bodies was calculated to shock some of Paul's Greek readers. Brought up on... Platonic thought, they would have regarded the body as an embarrassing encumbrance. Their slogan was Soma Sima Esten, which meant the body is a tomb in which the human spirit was imprisoned and from which they longed for its escape. Many cults, many Eastern religions also have this idea that there's a a transcendence above the body, that it's all about the spiritual, it's all about your, your consciousness. Body's just Nothing, but that's not what the Bible teaches. God saves us. Heart, mind, soul, body. He saves all of us. He created all of it. He created us in a body. He created us with a soul. All of those things are redeemed. All of those things will be in eternity. There is a resurrection, folks. We act like we forget that. (laughs) This very body, this very body you're living in will be resurrected. It will be with you through eternity. Glorified, yes. Amen. Amen. But we cannot just discard it and say, oh, it's only the spiritual, only my heart matters. I give you my heart, Jesus. Think about how we say that. We, we taught people, give Jesus your heart. What about the rest of you? <laughs> what about all of you? That's, you see why, how that can cause a dichotomy? Well, Jesus has my mind and my heart, but my life, my body, my work, my money, how I spend it, how I live, that's all me. No, that's why Paul's using this language. Give up your whole body as a living sacrifice unto God. Every part of your life. Body, soul, spirit. That's why the commandment is love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Body. All of you. I mean, we're not merely to give our hearts to God, but we're to give Him our entire being and body. Everything. I mean, our hands, our eyes, our brains, our mouths. Especially, right? All of this brings glory to the one who saved me. And he saved us for that reason. He wants you to glorify him at work with your living physical body. He wants you to glorify him as you live daily with making interactions with other human beings in their bodies. He wants to be glorified in you, all of you. Romans 6.13 says this, to remind us of this. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Again, Paul reminds us in Corinthians, you've been brought from death unto life by God's mercy. Therefore, don't use your body that he made alive for his glory for yourself. Don't use the members of your body, your hands, your eyes, for your lust and your personal desires, for, for occasions of sin, but use them for instruments of righteousness. First Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. A verse that changed my life when I was a young guy, seventh grade, at Christian school, lost as a goose, but a good little church boy. You know, made a profession of faith when I was nine, got baptized, had no clue of my need for Jesus Christ and his redemption and what he did for me on the cross. But then, I was such a bad student, such a bad kid, I was a bad little guy, man, I tell you, I was hyperactive, believe it or not, <laughs> and just a terrible student, and, and my parents said, that's it. They put me in an orphanage for one year. I know that's a weird thing. I, I did go to the St. Catherine, Saint Catherine uh, orphanage for a year in fifth grade. Uh, I wanted to be an orphan. I love those kids. It was so fun. I'd go on trips with them, act like I was an orphan. But anyway, uh, my parents always pick me up every day though. But then they finally said, um, uh, when it was in the sixth grade, they found out about Calvary Christian School. So we're going to stick him in the Christian school. So that was my reform school basically. But um, during that time, I, and I thought I was a Christian based on the fact that I went to church, made a profession, so that's what we put down, and they, you know, he's a Christian, bring him in, and, and that's what I would tell people. You're a Christian? Oh, yeah, yeah, I was, I was baptized, blah, 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 okay. But through those years in Bible class and hearing the Word of God taught and seeing this difference in some of, the, some of my friends, it was totally different. There was a joy and a, and a love and a dedication to God that came from a different place than just acting and just going through the motions. But hearing the gospel, literally hearing it, I realized baptism didn't save me. Church membership didn't save me. Trying to be a good little boy didn't save me. Only Christ and him alone could save me. And when he saved me, he saved all of me. And, and I just remember in that next, over that next year in the eighth grade, in the eighth grade, I just felt God call me to preach. I couldn't get past that. I don't know why, but, but, but verses like this were just beating on me. And this is what Paul's writing these for. That's why he's saying, I pray that you all feel the same thing. That the very mercy that saved you will cause you to be radically transformed. And it will be the motivation of your entire life for everything you do. How you talk to your wife, how you talk to your husband, how you raise your kids, how you work as an employee, how you work as an employer. Every aspect of your life should be changed by your Connection to Christ. So look at 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Did you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You're not your own. You are not your own if you're a believer. For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. Do You see the logic here? The same thing as Romans 12, 1. Because you were bought with the blood of Christ. Because he gave you something, you didn't earn it. His mercy was active in you, not you active for him earning it. And because of that, because you've been bought, you now belong to him. You're not your own. You can't live for yourself. Therefore, glorify him in that body. Live for him in your body. And again, that's everything. As I mentioned, it's everything. How do we live life with our families and at work? and with neighbors? How do we serve each other as a church? How do you love each other here? What do you sacrifice to to help people? How many of you, I'm just throwing it out there, how many of you have thought about just the fact that it takes all of us to make this service work? I mean, some of us have to do double duty. An example is kind of me running around up here, right? If you can play the bass, get up here. But in another example, we, we, we sometimes have to cancel children's ministry, have to cancel the nursery, because we don't have anybody volunteering to do that. This is where we serve each other, right, as a body. Even grandparents who don't have kids should maybe say, you know what, I want to help those young couples. I remember how tough it was. Let's serve in the nur- nursery one, one week. If we all, just little things like that. This is what it means to sacrifice our bodies for each other, to sacrifice ourselves for the glory of God as we serve each other. And it's got to start in the church. If we're not serving each other, we're not going to be loving and serving those around us. All right, got to hurry. One, another example, real quick, just, just, just a practical thing to apply here about how, how are we taking this verse seriously? God, you saved me by your mercy. I'm going to glorify you and worship you with all of my life. So that means that yes, we worship on Sundays. That's a special day. God has ordained to meet with him and be with his people. And the spirit is here. The preaching is here. The singing, the the, the communion, all the things given to the local church. That's nothing else can duplicate it it. And it's something we should never forsake. That's what Sunday morning is. The Lord's day. We gather, we worship, but that's not the only place we worship. This is talking about wholehearted, full worship of my entire life. So I don't just worship by singing, by hearing preaching, by, by communion that act of worship and fellowship with Christ. I worship God in the mundane things of life. Did you ever stop to think that the way you talk to your husband is worship? Now that sounded kind of weird and. Good. That sound bite gets out. Sound bite gets out. I am a patriarchal bigot. But what I meant was, I'm not saying that as you talk to your husband, you're talking to God. I am saying, though, how we talk to our spouse. Literally is an act of worship. When I obey God and love my wife as Christ loved the church, like he commanded me to, I am worshiping God and He is honored. Does that make sense? When I don't provoke my kids to wrath, like God commands me as a father, not to make my kids angry, not to not to purposely provoke them to anger, when I stop teasing them on purpose and say, you know what, I am not gonna do this because I'm gonna honor God, that's worship. When I am driving down the road, now this was back some years, I just remember. Here's an example that I just have told through the years. But in Cincinnati, we had this, it used to have this great radio station called W.E.B.N. I think it's still there, but it's not the same. Ribbit. But anyway, um, for those who know, you know. So W.E.B.N., and they would have these billboards for a while There. Maybe this is 90s, early 2000s, and they had billboards with this girl in a bikini just laid right out. Gigantic billboard, right? Weebin, right? W-E-B-N, and this, And you're driving down 75, and it's like... You know, it's there. And looking at that and staring at that, ogling at that, that is not worship, folks. Of God, anyway. That's wrong, right? But here's a simple example, just one way. So I I knew it was there, and my pattern was to look at this building over here, look look away. I knew I'm coming around that corner, I intentionally said, I'm not looking at it, I'm going to look away. I'm not trying to be self-righteous here, folks, I am a sinner. (laughs) But what I am saying is, here's a practical idea, do you know what it was, that simple act, as I look back at that through the years, that simple act of saying, I'm coming around the corner, I know that uh, that's going to be there, I'm going to purposely look over there the whole time, yep, I got past that. And as I look back at that, folks, that was not just willpower. The motivation for that, if it was done correctly, not for self-righteous reasons, but to honor God, that was worship. I worship God. I decided to put him first and not my desires. That's just an example. This is one example of many. The Holy Spirit right now takes the word of God and he applies it to each individual here. And I pray that you're sensitive to that right now. And that sin that besets you, I pray the Spirit of God is convicting you and showing you, do you want to worship the one who showed mercy on you? Stop that. That's pretty, pretty elementary, but that's it. That's what Paul's saying here. Because of God's mercy that he has given to you and shown to you, stop living for sin. And make your life and your body a sacrifice unto him. That's what he's saying. So again, very quickly, here it is. We can be a living sacrifice, is what Paul's saying. But here it is: we can be a living sacrifice only because Christ was our dying sacrifice. So let's jump there as we end this thing. It's not about my willpower. It's not about me having such great strength to not do things. No, I can only be a living sacrifice and live for God because Christ died for me. Romans 12.1 again. Let's look at this. I appeal to you, brethren. Uh, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That language harkens back to the Old Testament. The holy blemish, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the holy lamb without blemish that was an offering brought to the temple, that sacrifice, it had to be perfect. Remember, they couldn't have spot or blemish. That's a holy sacrifice unto God and that's what this language is telling us. Now we can't do that, folks. We're not without blemish. We can't be a perfect lamb without spot or blemish offered to God. But now we see past that. And and what Paul is reminding us with that language, I believe, is, is reminding us it's the mercies of God. He sent the perfect spotless lamb to die and be sacrificed in your place. Now you can be a sacrifice. You can live now with his power in you. Again, Paul's not saying we're that kind of sacrifice. He's saying Jesus was that kind of sacrifice. And that's the basis of our faith, folks. Jesus was that sacrifice. Hebrews 10.4. Just getting This, by the way, this is the mercy of God. I'm giving you these verses. I'm reading these verses to motivate me. The next time I want to sin or serve myself, instead to serve others and God and not do that with my body. To say, Lord, I want to, I want to love you for what you've done for me. Here it is. Here's what he's done for us. Hebrews 10, 4. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. This is what we have to remember. That was what was happening in the Old Testament, right? These bulls and goats, all these animals brought to the temple. They were slain. They were sacrificed. They were burned on the altar. didn't take away sin. It was only a picture, a type of what God was going to do. He was going to send the perfect sacrifice for us. But again, we've got to understand Hebrews 10, 4. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Just as it's impossible for us to make sacrifices that take away our sins, we can't. But look at Hebrews 10, 12, and 14. But oh, there it is. And as you know, I love the butts of the Bible. I, I can't, you've got to love them too. You've got to, whenever you see, we were dead in our sins. But here it is. For it's impossible for the bull, for, for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Are we hopeless? No. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God. You see this? This is, this is our faith, people. Our sacrifices fail. We can't do it enough. Even the, 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 the representative sacrifices of the Old Testament failed. They weren't the real thing. They were just a picture. But when Christ once for all was sacrificed, he sat down at the right hand of God. Do you know what that signifies? The job is finished. (laughs) I've done it. I now sit in majesty, having paid for the sins of my people. That's where our hope is, folks. Look at this. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That's us, who are trusting Christ. This is what motivates us, folks. This is what causes us to present our lives now, a living sacrifice. We are yours, Lord, not to earn your love, but because of the great love you've already shown to us by your sacrifice. So glorious truths. Now, by the way, as we move on down, therefore, here it is, to give our whole being to God, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, is reasonable. Okay, so that's what people would say. It's not reasonable that you go to church so much. It's just not reasonable. You're always reading that Bible. It's not reasonable that you would actually believe that God's laws matter. Mike Johnson uh, has been accused over and over for his statement, Speaker of the House now, when he said, you want to know my worldview? Read your Bible. That's my worldview. Man, he's been just raked over the coals for that. Can you believe the audacity of this guy? He believes the Bible. But folks, here it is. Here's the thing. To do that, to believe that, to give our lives, to, 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 to open ourselves up to be scorned and mocked and, and made fun of, it's reasonable. Now for the lost person who doesn't know the mercy of God, they've never experienced such a grace and, and forgiveness, It's ludicrous it's foolishness that's what paul said right we're we're counting as fools all day for christ's sake and that's what this is saying so i just want to read the verse one more time he says this i appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of god to present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable to god because of christ is what he's implying there and look this is your spiritual worship that's how the esv translates it there that word Logikos in the Greek for for that word spiritual is literally the word for reasonable. Something that's reasonable or proper or fitting. And so that's what Paul is saying here. Because of everything God's done for you by crushing His own Son with the very wrath you deserved. Because of that, it's only reasonable you give Him everything. Do you see that? That's what this verse is telling us. And I'm going to, quick kind of a story. There was a, there was a medical missionary, a Dr. Shaw. He was Captain Shaw with the, the Salvation Army years ago. And he went to India to serve. And as he was there doing the medical missions, three lepers were brought into this, this colony, this town where they lived. And they were shackled in these shackles. So they had these open sores, but they also had these tight shackles on, right? Their hands and feet and legs and it was cutting into their skin, and they were miserable, right? So the doctor said, unshackle these men. And they said, no, 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 these are criminals. These guys are criminals, can't be trusted, wicked men. But the, but, but the doctor said, I can't, I, can't, I can't help it, I gotta treat them, they're human beings, take off the shackles. And they, the doctor got the keys, and he himself removed and patiently pulled them out of the skin and the sores, the, the shackles that were cutting in so deep, treated the wounds with love and care, and then a few months later, he had the first inkling of regret for letting those men free in the town because he had to go on an emergency trip to pick up supplies urgently. And he had to leave his wife and, and, and daughter there at their house. And he was concerned. He was worried. Because the town, it wasn't just those three. This place was like a western free-for-all, right? I mean, just like the old shoot 'em up towns. There was all kinds of wickedness going on and, and scary things happening here from, from people. So he was afraid, but his wife said, don't worry, honey. You know, the Lord's got us. We're fine. You got to get that. You got to take those men and get the stuff. We're going we're gonna to be fine. Now, the woman woke up that next morning, the first day the doctor left, she woke up and was startled. She went to her front door to see those three leper fellows that the husband had freed on her front porch. She was a little worried, but they stopped her and said, no, 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 no. Don't be afraid. She said, we knew that you were alone. And the doctor left and they said, we decided to stay here in the weather, the elements all night to guard you, to keep you safe because of what he's done for us. We are forever indebted to you and your family. And, and that's just a, a small story of, of what we all are, right? We were all lepers, totally dirty before God and and not able to save ourselves. And yet he unlocked the prison uh, chains. He healed our sinful wounds by his wounds on the cross. He gave everything for us so that we could be free. And because of that, that gratitude, we offer ourselves a living sacrifice unto him. And that's what communion is. Communion is, is believers as we come together week after week and we end with this every week. It points us back to Christ.